Happy New Year from wherever you are tuned in from. It's hard to believe we are in 2023, but hey, here we are. This month, we have sermons for you that will give you a guiding hope for the year. My name is Philip Moura, and here is today's message. Father, as we prepare our hearts to hear from you, I pray that, Lord, you will use me for I am just an arranger of fire, firewood at your altar. Now may you be able to bring fire and may the words of my, my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, you who is my rock and my redeemer. May we be blessed in your presence this afternoon as we indulge in your word. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. One time, some years back, I was privileged to walk with a couple that had committed themselves to marriage, but a couple of years down the line, they had done things to each other that were hurtful and were painful, and they had broken the trust of each other. And the marriage was on the verge of collapse. But thanks be to God, because God aligned their hearts and mellowed their hearts, and they thought that they have something precious that they need to protect and to shield from going to waste. And as we were walking with them through that journey and praying with them, they came one day to me and they told me that we want to renew our vows. We want to say the vows that we stood before people and we said we want to say them again. For we have seen that we need to rely on the strength and the grace of God. For we relied on our own power and we hurt each other deeply. And as we were preparing for this short ceremony in church, renewing the vows, they, I asked them, what is it that you want? What is it that, what, why are you so eager? These words that you have written here that you want to exchange with each other, why do you want to do that? And they told me a word that I have never forgotten. They told me, we want to be faithful to each other and to God till the end. We know how weak we are, but we want to be faithful till the end. And so as I was preparing the sermon for this week, I titled it, Faithful to the End. So this is not my own title. You get, I got it from someone. Faithful to the End. And it's a word that has been uh, just been running in my mind throughout the week. That I pray that for myself and for you, not on your own strength, that indeed you be faithful to God till the end. And so we are going to read up, uh, one verse in the book of Second Timothy. So if you may please stand with me there. If you have your Bibles or if you have your tablets, uh, please go there. Uh, if you're wondering where the book of Second Timothy is, it's in the New Testament. Um, then they have the, the Gospels, the first books, the Gospel there. And then you find the book of Acts. Move forward to the book of Romans, uh, Corinthians, then get into other books there that sometimes you do not know how to say them. But I can give you uh, something to remember, a mnemonic to be able to remember. General Electric Power Company, right? Just be saying that. And you remember it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Let's move. Ruka, you're the Thessalonians. Ruka, then First Timothy. But that's not it. Go to the second Timothy now, right? That's it. We are going to read from verse chapter 4, verse 9 to 
from verse 9 and verse 10. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Damatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. I think we can stop, we can stop there. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to a young pastor called Timothy. And he writes to encourage him. He writes to remind him to be faithful to the end. In the first letter, the one that we are reading was Second Timothy. The first letter, he writes and reminds this young pastor to fight the good fight, holding on to faith and good conscience. In chapter 6 of Timothy chapter 1, I mean, First Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes and says again, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you are called when you made a confession. That was the first letter. And in the second letter that was written about four or five years later, Paul is now elderly and old and weak, and he has been arrested and put in a dark and a cold, a very cold prison. That's why when you read that, you will say that, you know, bring, bring my clock with you. Because where he was, it was cold and it was dark, and he was just about to be executed. And he writes this because he knew, the second letter, he knew that his life was coming to an end. Actually, he writes somewhere and says that I'm being poured out like a drink offering. You know, he, he, he then talks about, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And when he talks about the drink offering, I'm being poured like a drink offering. Is you know the the, the 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 drink offering was poured out for God. Everything was poured out for God. And so Paul is like saying that my life, every inch of my body, every part of my soul, and my life has been poured out and given wholly to God. And so he writes this letter to encourage this young guy. And at the end of this letter, Paul writes and tells Timothy, "Come to me." Come to me, come and see me. That Paul was lonely and suffering for the gospel. And he writes this, that I'm longing to be visited in this place. I have been deserted by good friends. Only Luke is with me. And he calls, uh, or he reminds Timothy, please come when you have time. And Paul was busy. I mean, Timothy was busy with ministry. He was starting a church that was growing and thriving and facing many challenges. But he's willing to say, please leave the ministry aside and come and visit me. For he wanted to be encouraged in friendship and in, fe and in fellowship as well. And sometimes we see Paul like this great guy. But he was still a human who needed encouragement when he was so, so, so down. And 
Interestingly, as he writes this letter to Timothy, a certain name that I want us to focus today, because it may not be familiar to many, appears suddenly. It's someone who is called Demas. And Demas, before we engage and interact, Demas is a beautiful name. Actually, it meant someone who is popular. Someone who is popular or someone who can lead people. That's what it means, Demas. So if you are looking to have a baby this, this year, you know, maybe it's a son, Pastor Kafi, you can be able to take this name, Demas, you get, in its truncated form from Greek. That's why we get the name uh, demagogues. And if you are a fan of Miguna Miguna, you know, you used to hear it, especially last year, demagogues and demigods and many things. That's where this word or this name is gotten from. It means a leader of the people. The positive side of the name means a leader of the people. So this name comes out and despite this common name, despite this popular name, the character that we want to study today, the person that we want to study today who had this name didn't have a very good legacy in Paul's view. Paul says that Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. In love with the present world has deserted me. But you learn to your surprise that this Demas, before these words were written here by Paul, Paul had written other great words about this guy. And he was a man who had loved God deeply. He was inspired to pursue the cause of the gospel. Demas had worked with Paul hand in hand and had accompanied him to various missions engagements and church plantings. So in a sense, he was a father of faith. He had stood true and he had initiated many projects. He was there to see God rescuing Paul. He was there to see the power of God, the power of the gospel. He ministers to people. He preached to people. But at the end, he deserted the faith. True to his name, the leader of a people, he was at the forefront of leading many people to Christ and sharing the good news of the gospel of the risen Christ. If you're interested, the book of Colossians Chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writes there somewhere and says, Look, the beloved physician greets you as does Demas. In the book of Philemon, verse 23, Paul writes again and says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. That's how Paul sees him, that he is my fellow worker. And he's sending greetings. I think Paul was from Western, you know, Natuma Salamu, you know, and all that, uh, sending greetings. So if anyone ever asks you, why do you always send greetings? Well, you know, it's, it's pattern of the gospel, like Paul. Friends, if you were doubting, I want to remind you that Demas was a one-time witness. He was highly engaged in the activities of the early church. But at the end, he abandoned the fellowship of brothers and also the fellowship of Christ. Here is a man who had done a lot in the kingdom. Here is a man who had done great exploits. But at the end, his epitaph is that of desertion. 
At the end, he rejected Christ and loved and embraced the world. That's what Paul tells us. He changed his course and drifted away from the gospel. A tragic story that would have been different were he faithful to the end. And God allowed this story to be in his word, perhaps for a reason. First, it is to warn us not to shipwreck our faith, but to encourage us to keep the faith until we reach the glories of heaven. It is here to inspire us. It is here to remind us that this great possession that we have of being called Christians, of being called friends of God, of being called children of God, we can throw it away at will and many dear friends have lost it. This is one story in one verse that is meant to fortify and to strengthen our faith. And I pray that it will do so to you brothers and sisters. But anyway, what do we need to learn from this story? A few things. Number one, we need to know that the pool of the world is so strong. The pool and the allure of the world is so strong. Paul writes there and says, Demas in love with this present world. And the word that Paul uses here about love, the in love with this world or in love with the world, is the same word that describes the love that God has for his people. It is a covenantal love, a love that has been pledged. So Demas has pledged and covenanted with the world that I'm not going to leave you and I'm going to hold on to the world with a very strong grip. That's what this word means here. God says that he will never leave us nor forsake us for his love for us is so strong. It led him to the cross. That is a positive love. The same word, Paul uses it to say that this guy, Demas, is not willing to leave and to forsake the world to come back to the fold of God. He's willing to stay in the world. He's no longer willing to give up an inch. He hates the things of God and the people of God that he was even willing to leave Paul, who was at that moment in great need. Demas was a friend who did not stick for long. And he pledged his love for the world, dear brothers and sisters. Demas' love for the world snuffed out his faith and his love towards God. The pull of the world was so much and he couldn't resist it. He looked at the cost of following Jesus and pursuing Jesus on one hand. And on this other end, he looked at what the world offered, the promises of the world, and he chose to go with the world. He headed to the Salonika. The Salonika was a manufacturing city. So it, had, it, was, it had good potential. There were good opportunities. And he headed there perhaps because there was money. There would be power. There would be pleasures of the world and the conveniences of the world which were not being offered in Christ Jesus. This story, friends, again, is here to warn us that the world will offer you Something, if you don't anchor your faith in God at all times, you can lose it. You can lose it. You will find something in the world that is very, very palatable, and in the fold of God, something that is not palatable, and you choose the world. And many of us friends here are praying for status, you know, we are praying for power, we are praying for material gains, 
And this is not bad. But it must, all the dreams that we have for the year, they must be tethered within the will of God. Otherwise, they will become these things that we want for the year. They might become like hidden magnets that will tag us and draw our hearts away from Jesus and the community of faith. But so that you don't risk seeing that Demas is a villain here, maybe he saw the pending execution of Paul. And he wondered, is this how God treats his children? Hey, then I'm better off with the world. I want to remind you, friends, to be alert because, as I've said, the pleasures of this world can draw us away from God. But also, the pain that we might experience, the tribulations that we might experience in this world, the grief, the lack, and the loss of opportunities, they can be able to take us away from God as well. Pleasures and pain if not viewed from the lenses of the sovereignty of God, they can take us away. Be alert to these pleasures and the pains of the world. Rev. Jasmine reminded us last Sunday with the story of Job that for Job, that neither pain nor plenty could take him away from God. And that is where true faith is. We need to anchor ourselves and to love God as we have sung with that true love, with that commitment. The book of First John, chapter 1, verse 15. John writes there and says, uh, chapter 1, sorry, First John, chapter 2, verse 15. It writes there and says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And you said sometimes obeying the will of God will take you to uncertain times. Obeying the will of God might bring you, might bring you to the place of tears. Might bring you to a place of doubt. Might bring you to a place where you struggle with your faith. But it has a greater reward as we are going to see. Love for the world friends, cannot exist together with the love for God. Because every decision that we may be presented with is a trade-off. You will be presented with many, many decisions to make. And you must remember, every decision that you make is a trade-off. I pray that you will be able to trade off the world for God and not God for the world. Secondly, Paul writes there and says, Demas has deserted me. And I want here to see the impact of your faith. First, you can be able to sense the disappointment in the tone of Paul. That in pursuit of pleasures, Demas left Paul alone, neglected him and abandoned him. A great friend in the faith that they had walked together, he abandoned Paul. And this may have deeply affected Paul because he lost a friend who he had thought that they were together in the journey towards heaven to receive their crowns. And friends, allow me to remind you that every choices that we make in matters of faith will have far-reaching effects. Will have far-reaching effects. That the, the vibrations of your decisions, friends, 
whether good or bad, will not just be felt by this generation. It will be felt even by future generations. And this is not to place you again to a point of despair, but again to make you wise, to wake you up, so that you may make the best decisions in matters of faith. Learn from Demas and steward your life well. And perhaps the question is, what impact does your faith have to your immediate family, to those who are close to you, to your friends, to your family, to at the workplace? What is the impact of your faith? Is it something good that can be emulated or is it something that people wonder, will this even make it to heaven? What impact does your faith have? What is it that people can talk or can say about your faith? Because your faith must have an impact. Any service that you do for the, for the sake of Christ has an impact and we pray that it's a good one. When this team stands here to sing, you know, that those words, that service has an impact. When those guys, Akina Dennis there, Akina Mwangi there, they hold those guitars, you are doing it for the service of Christ, to the glory of Christ, and it will have an impact. And God counts it worthy. Those who teach in our bandas, ministering to our kids, giving an opportunity for a kid to give their life to Christ and discipling them to love Jesus Christ. All you teachers who have sacrificed your time to prepare the lessons, that service has an impact and it's a good one. And God sees it. It is never in vain. Those who serve in our regroup, our regroup leaders, despite the dis- dis- discouragement and the disappointment that come from leading even a, you know, just a small group of people, that service that you do for the sake of Christ will bear much fruit. It's not and it's never in vain. When we say that you find someone in the tent welcoming you or praying with you, you the prayer counselors, you the visitation team, the visitors team, that service that you do there has an impact and it's a good one and God sees it and it's never in vain. It will outlive you. When you call the ushers here to usher us in, when you call people to volunteer in the men's ministry, in the ladies' ministry, everywhere, where you say, I want to give my week, a few hours in my week to serve the Lord or to commune with God and to encourage the people of God to go for missions, to go to Chaleta, to go everywhere, to teach in our marriage ministry, that service to God, that will have an impact and it will outlive you. It will outlive you. That faithfulness, has a great reward. David writes in the book of Psalm, and he says that, I have been young and now I am old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. There is a reward for your sacrifice and for your ministry, everything that you do because of the name you want to please God, and you're doing it so that people may know this God has an impact, dear brothers and sisters. I want to encourage those, especially those who have stopped serving, those who have no longer attend worship. Those who, their hearts have grown cold. Your faith has an impact. Come back to the fold of God. Serve him diligently with your heart. God has redeemed you. God has saved you. Don't be like, you know, the wife of Lot, who God had saved and had saved his body only that his heart turned away and looked backward, wanted the world because the world offered something that Christ wasn't offering at that point, and the life ended tragically. Serve the Lord with your body and with your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul. 
The Bible says, what does it profit man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So I pray that you are not going to strangle your faith. You are not going to starve your soul. You are not going to surrender to the world. But you are going to surrender to God and serve him faithful all through to the end. And finally, after talking about that we need to know that the pull of the world is strong, that we need to be aware of the impact of our faith, then we need to know that there is a reward somewhere. Paul uses the word present for Demas in love with this present world. And the word present there means this current status. As matters stand now, as the world that we see now, and Paul using this word then implies that this life that we all see is not all that there is. There is something else. That there is something else beyond what we can see. There is something that is so greater and so precious that comes after this present world becomes a past. There is something greater. There is something else. You know, a long time ago, my late grandfather, you know, couldn't see well and he, we, take, we, took, we took him to hospital and the doctor said that his eyes have some cataracts and he had been in darkness for long. He couldn't see clearly. And then when he went and that thing was removed, you know, he, the first thing he said, I can see so much light. How have I been in so much darkness? Brothers and sisters, we need to pray that God will remove the cataracts of faith that we have. So that we can be able to see and to perceive this promised world, this promised kingdom. That there is something beyond. I do not know your school mottos, where you schooled. Perhaps there were different school mottos. Um, even where we were, there were school mottos. You know, the school mottos are like aim high. You know, um, uh, and a colleague was telling me that their motto was the, bitter, the roots of education are bitter, but the fruit is sweet. You know, a good one, right? A good one. I mean, others were something, you know, there was something, something else, you get. Uh, if you don't read, you are dying. You are something like that, you know. Um, when, I went to, when I went to the university, then I learned actually there can be Latin mottos, you know, the, where I schooled, you know, just in case you doubt if I went to, uh, to college, you know, it was unitat et labore, you know, unite, unity in work. Other universities like KU had a Sohil one and uh, Jaiquat had a. Jaiquat did have a. Anyway, just kidding. <laughs> Let's proceed. But a country called Spain had a motto in the early 1400s. It had a very beautiful motto. And this motto, it was in Latin, that says, Non plus ultra, which meant that there is nothing beyond. They had traversed around them. And they had concluded there is nothing else beyond this. Beyond what we can see, there is nothing else. And they printed coins that said that there is no more beyond. We have conquered the world. And, but in that era, in the 1500s, Christopher Columbus, you know, was curious. And he embarked on a journey. And he went there and discovered the Americas and many other places. And they went back and said, there is so much more. And Spain changed its motto that stands until today, plus ultra, which means that there is more beyond. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you today that there is more than what we see now. 
there is more. That there is a place that is prepared for those who remain faithful to the end and remain in Christ Jesus. That there is a place of no sickness and sin, pain and punishment, death and diseases, fear and failures. It is a place of unending joy. It is a place of unknown peace, unlimited prosperity, and some that you may know, some of your beloved are there enjoying these moments of unknown peace in the presence of God. Paul says, if you remain anchored, well, you are going to receive this precious and promised crown that will be a visible token that you get from Jesus because you have remained faithful to the end. And Jesus Christ, the one who created the universe, the one who has always been, we'll be so delighted, you brothers and sisters, to put that crown on your, on your brow, on your head. So, friends, we learn finally that the love for the, for the world or for the world leads us to loathe and to be indifferent in attitude towards God. And here is the thing. This world, brothers and sisters, is like a dishonest lover. You will love it, but it won't love you back the same way. That there is no return on investment when you calculate your ROI to be in the world. There is nothing that you're going to gain from the world. Ask the prodigal son, the young man who said, give me everything, I need to go out there and enjoy. And he was captivated by the world. But by the time he was coming back, he who was a son of royalty, he who had left with a lot, came with nothing and in tattered clothes that no one in the whole town perhaps would have remembered him apart from his father who saw him from a distance and broke all the rules of fatherhood and ran to him and embraced him and clothed him with dignity and with royalty again. Friends, if you have been the world, run back to God. He's willing to embrace you again because the world has nothing to offer. This world will not love you fully. It will only give you something that will keep you coming back but Jesus' love is different, friends. He won't just love you back. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, this Christ died for you and died for me. While you hated him, while you are to be condemned, this Jesus died for you. So, and if you are to renew your commitment to him today, he will love you forever. He is willing and ready to love you, for the world has nothing to offer. When you desert the faith, it has nothing to offer, but there's so much more. There's so much more while you remain in the fold of God. And sometimes we refuse this, you know, the, to, to respond to this call. Because many times we think of Jesus as one who is malicious in a way. And I, you know, during Christmas Day, uh, when you guys were enjoying your chapatis and all that, there was, a, there was a sizable group here of guys who came here. And we were sharing testimonies and I remembered as I was preaching to share a testimony of what God had done in the past for us. And this is a testimony that, you know, sometimes back when we were new parents to our, to, to our firstborn, and things had been rather uh, you know, hard, especially financially, because we had just come from a long season of illness. And so we didn't have uh, much, and, you know, uh, and, and I think God used that moment to humble me, because before I got married, you know, I used to say that the role of the husband is to provide and you know that's a source of pride, especially for many. 
we, God taught me that I'm not a provider, God is the one who provides. You get? And he humbled me and took me to a place that I cannot be able even to provide for my family. I learned that I'm only a steward of that which God has blessed me with and that God is sufficient at all times. And so God allowed in his own ways for me not to have uh, or to delay paying rent. And I was sharing on that Christmas day, telling uh, the, the guys who are here, and if you are here, you may know the story, that then after a few days of delaying to pay rent, my landlord came, and I knew that it's the landlord, for I had seen him. And he came and knocked on my door. And this is confession time. It's good for the heart. <laughs> Friends, if you think that I opened the door, I did it. <laughs> Do not take that and utilize that in your house, Shauriako. God forgave me. I didn't open. And he came a couple of days later. He came earlier than ex expected. And he, the door was slightly opened. And he just pushed the door. And as my wife was taking care of the baby in the other room, I was there face to face with my landlord. He kept quiet. I kept quiet. I looked at him. And he said hi. Said hi. With a lot of timidity. Then he said, uh, I heard that you guys were blessed with a child. Uh, yes. I was here the, a few days ago and there was no one in the house. Uh, and I, I didn't confess. And I was coming to tell you, if you have not paid your rent, don't pay, for that is my gift to your child. And, but if you have paid, don't pay for next month. And I thanked the Lord and I thanked him. And many times we are unable to pursue or to love Christ. For we think that he is so malicious, he comes to demand something that we do not have. Friends, Jesus comes into your life to give you something that you so much need, something that you can't pay. And he comes to offer that gift to you. Granted to say, after that, our, we got a second born in quick succession, and our landlord uh, thinking, and I delayed at that moment paying my rent, thinking that the offer will be again given to me. Uh, I, I, I have to submit to you that uh, that offer was not extended to me again. So that miracle, because God doesn't recycle his miracles. And so that ended. Uh, and so the second born, we had to pay the rent. Nothing came from our landlord. Christ comes to give you something. And he gives you something that cannot be taken away from you. Jesus doesn't come with demands. Jesus comes to your life with a gift. And I pray that you be able to embrace it. Paul writes in the book of Romans somewhere and says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. May you embrace this and guard it and take care of it when knowing that you have something that is so, so precious. And if I pray that you will be able to remember that and be faithful to the end. Come back. If you have been running away from Jesus, come back to him. For he is the one who makes everything anew. The new year has no inherent ability 
of making anything new in your life. Only Jesus has the ability to make you new in him. Christ offers you something so great, something so grand in his kingdom. I pray that you, brothers and sisters, throughout this year, you will be faithful to the end, that you are not going to desert the fellowship of brothers, the love of Christ, like Demas did, but you are going to embrace and know that you have something so precious. Brothers and sisters, do not lose your hope. Do not lose hope in the promises of God. And I pray that God, because God has the ability to bypass any experience that you have gone through, may you submit all those experiences to him and ask him, God, may you make me faithful till the end. Strengthen. The song says that prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. But would you remain faithful to the end for the glory of God? I want to pray for you, brothers and sisters. And perhaps you are here, and you may bow your head for our time of prayer. And you're here and you're saying, that, Lord, I want to renew my commitment towards you. I have deserted you. I have ran away from you. I want to pray for you. While you remain in that mood of prayer, just lift up your hand in faith. God is the one who sees it, and I'll pray for you. Lift it up and then put it down. I've seen that hand at the back. Thank you, sister. I've seen those hands. The upper deck, the, the middle deck, I've seen those hands. Put it down. Anyone else? At the back, I've seen that hand. I've seen that hand. Thank you, brothers. I've seen that hand. I've seen that hand. Put it down. Let me say a word of prayer for you. Dear Lord, we thank you for the your word that is the only instrument that has transforming power. Thank you for these brothers and sisters who have raised their hands in faith. They have not raised it to me. They have not raised it in the presence of this. They have raised it to you, submitting themselves to you. I pray that you, O oh Lord, who is always willing to forgive us, Father, that you may forgive them and strengthen them and renew their commitment in you. Lord, your hands are always ready to embrace us again and to give us a new name, to call us again ox of righteousness. I pray for them as they have raised their hands that indeed, Lord, you minister to them and that, Lord, you cover them and shield them from the plans of the evil one, the one who come to distort your children. I thank you and I bless you. And may you see their desire and may they have a testimony that indeed, Lord, you have been their shield, you have been their rampart, you have watched over them and you have kept them. Perhaps also if you are here and maybe you want to give your life to Christ, the words that I've shared here, they're so alien. But you want this to be your testimony. You have a chance to give your life to Christ today. Would you lift up your hand? I'll pray for you. Lift up your hand. And I'll see you. And I'll pray for you. Even at the back. Dear Lord, I thank you for all these brothers and sisters that you brought today here for a reason. I pray that, Lord, you will make them to trust in you. Your word tells us that, Lord, those who trust you are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Lord, may you surround them as the mountains surround Jerusalem. May you surround them forever. 
May you strengthen their faith in you. Anchor their faith. For they are prone to wonder, to leave you, the God that they love, and shield them. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we do pray. May the Lord be with you and bless you and have a lovely year. And may you remain faithful to the end and may God keep you. Amen.